Thank you for the opportunity to do this, Pastor. I, uh, I really enjoy teaching. I'm not going to lie. I, lo- I love teaching the Bible. Um, but I also, I take it. <laughs> I, I, um, I, uh, I enjoy it, but I do, I do try to recognize the, the huge responsibility and, and, you know, the burden that lays upon someone that, that, that teaches the Bible because this is a God's word, so we don't just come at it flippantly. <clears throat> All right, let's play really quick, and then we'll get started with the lesson because I do have kind of a lot of material to go over. Father, thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you for blessing us with this nice weather. Thank you for um, this church building to meet in, and thank you that we can do this in freedom right now. And thank you for uh, the opportunity, Lord, for me to preach and teach here. I pray that you just help me to teach your word correctly, and that it would be edifying to these people here, help, and not just a bunch of information, but it would be something that we could take and, and we renew our minds with and strengthen our hearts with and, and use to make us uh, more uh, uh, fit and, and uh uh, useful for your kingdom, Lord. We just pray all these now that you, all these things now, and ask that you'd help us through this time. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. So um, I'm going to continue what I taught last time. Um, there's three more points, but I really I gave you guys an outline, so I'm going to really quickly go through, review what we talked about last time, so that you can fill in the blanks. And uh, this part will be fast, Brother Mark, but I'll slow down. I'll slow down after I get to point when it gets let's get to point three. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, let me, oh, I got the clock up there. Okay, so anyways, um, we talked about last time, the whole, the whole topic is the supremacy of the scriptures, how it is, abo- it is just supreme in, in many things. There's five points in this, whole, in this whole lesson. We talked about the first two last time. And um, the first one we talked about was the fact that the scriptures are supreme in magnitude, um, supreme in magnitude. Um, we, we went to the verse in Psalm 138, verse 2, and it says, um, I will worship for thy holy hill and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And knowing how much God, uh, how much importance God's put to, to his own name and to his son's name, we then think about the fact that he exalted his word above even that. And so uh, it, is, it is an amazing thing to consider. And the, uh, the next blank to fill in there would be that for that purpose, it is to be held in the highest regard. So this book. You think about how great God's name is and how much we, we, uh, yeah, how much we uh, revere God's name and how, how holy it is and how reverent we should be towards it. And then you think about God's word exalted above that. Let's hold the word of God in the highest regard. Our cautions when we consider that truth is, number one, we don't change the book. We don't change it. Um, uh, the Bible tells us in the beginning in Deuteronomy, in the middle of the book in Proverbs, and in the end of the book in Revelation, don't add or subtract to my book. And the consequences of that are condemnation and plagues and reproval and all sorts of things that we don't want to be a part of. <clears throat> the second thing is that we don't want, we are, our, another caution is that we don't misuse it. Um, and this is beyond just changing the words, but it's changing them with the, uh, the idea to corrupt it or to handle it deceitfully, to deceive people, or to rest it. In other words, to change it to make it fit our viewpoint or to make, make us influence somebody in the wrong way, we don't rest the scriptures. And the consequences of that, Peter says, are the destruction of those who do so. They rest it to their own destruction. And as a Christian, I would hope that's something that we don't want to be partaking of, that we're going to take these, this book and make it say something and manipulate it to say something um, that it doesn't say so that for whatever reason, people do it for all sorts of reasons, but it'll be our destruction to do that. Now, our responsibility um, for, because this book is to be held in the highest regard, because it's exalted 
above God's own name. Um, God has done that. Um, our responsibility, as we saw in Psalm 119, was that we ought to have respect. That kind of goes along with the highest regard. We ought to have respect unto the word, words of God. Um, we don't treat it flippantly. These are the words of God, and we treat it with respect. And then in Ecclesiastes 12, the whole duty of man is what? To fear God and to keep his commandments. So half of the whole duty of man is to obey the book that he exalted above his own name. Um, and that's, that's a daily ongoing um, battle that I'm sure we all have is to stay in obedience to this book. Our flesh doesn't want to do that. Um, but the Holy Spirit of God inside of us does. He's trying to conform us to this book, trying to conform us to the image of Christ. And so our duty, half of our duty is to obey the words that God has exalted above his own name. That was point one from last time. <clears throat> Any questions? <laughs> the end, uh, we should be, um, our responsibility is number one, to respect it, and number two, to obey it. <clears throat> the, uh, the second point that we made was um, out of Second Peter chapter 1 which is where we read the account of the transfiguration of Christ, Peter's account, eyewitness account, and he talks about what he saw, what he heard, all the miraculous things there, and then he goes on to say, but we have a more sure word of prophecy than what we even saw on the mount, all those miraculous things. And that more sure word of prophecy was the scriptures. So the point two was the Bible, the scriptures, are the supreme form of revelation. In other words, how God wants to reveal himself to man the scriptures are the ultimate supreme form of that now. We talked about before, in the past, there, God did work through signs and wonders. God did use tongues. God did use visions and dreams. But we, we, we read in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, um, all those things eventually come to, come to an end, and when that which is perfect has come, those things are done away with. And we have the perfect law of liberty right here that God has completed now that that book has been, he put the, the end on there in Revelation chapter 22. If you put that, that closure on it, we have the completed word, words of God, and it is now the supreme form of revelation. God doesn't deal in signs and wonders and dreams and audible voices anymore right now because this book is completed. It's perfect. So the point, point two under there, we have a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than a visible signs and wonders because that's what Peter saw and Peter, James, and John saw. <clears throat> Jesus transfigured um, two long-dead saints appearing with Christ. And it's more sure also than the audible voice of God, which is something that some people have a little hard time grasping. Well, if I heard God speak, no, God speak. God has this now. This is what he has now. Um, so it's more sure than the audible voice of God. Let her be there. And that's because, as Paul told us in the scriptures, we now walk by faith, not by sight. That is the hardest thing for us to, okay, I'll talk for me. That's, that's a hard thing for me to do. I don't like walking by faith because it, it requires me divesting all my confidence in myself and my trust in myself and all my own knowledge and just believing what God said, which you'd think for a Christian would be easy to do, but let's just be honest. It's not easy for us to do sometimes. We have to walk by faith. But if we learn to trust this book, um, that walking by faith will be a lot easier because this is more sure than anything else God could show us or let us hear or anything else. If we believe this book um, as the sure word of prophecy, we won't have as much of a problem walking by faith. Um, we talked about what was more sure. It's the prophecy of the Scripture. And uh, the one fill in the blank there, Scripture is that which is written. That's what the word Scripture means. 
we get our word script from that, or a scribe is one who writes down something. Um, <clears throat> the, the word scripture means that which is written. When I was little, I was, my dad used to do Bible time when I was really little, you know, four or five years old, and he'd keep using that word scriptures, and I, I just had in my mind something bizarre, because I didn't know what the word meant, you know, just like, you didn't, when you don't know what a word means, it's, it's, it was bizarre to you, and I, and I made a comment about it once in Bible time, my dad's like, no, I, that, this, you know, like, this is, this is what it means, but as a little kid, you didn't understand, that word, it's a big word, scriptures, what is, what is that, scriptures, you know, but anyway, scripture means that which is written, um, and what God has preserved for us in writing is more sure than signs and wonders. Um, we, are, we are told, even in, back in the Old Testament, God said, if I wrote something down and a prophet comes along, so-called prophet comes along and shows you a sign and wonder for the purpose of going contrary to the word of God, you're not to believe him. Well, what about the sign and wonder? What about the wonder? Because God already wrote it down. Nothing contradicts what God has put down in writing. You can hold this thing against any other so-called as, as Peter says, science falsely so-called, or preacher, or, or, or professor, or opinions, because God wrote it down. That's why he did this for us, so that we have something sure to believe and trust, not something ethereal like, oh, God spoke to me. Really? Does it line up with this? It's more sure than anything else that we have. That's why it's the supreme form of revelation. Point four there is, uh, we said that what God, therefore, when God has written it down, that is the final word on the matter. <clears throat> and that's where we brought up 1 Corinthians 13 there. Um, prophecies, tongues, knowledge, they were there. God used them, but they would eventually fail. They would eventually cease. They would eventually vanish away because they're there to make way for that which is perfect. How are we doing so far? I know we're rushing through this part because we already did it. That's the only reason why I'm rushing. Um, the application for that point, the Bible, the scriptures being the supreme form of revelation, our application, how do we apply this to our, to our, our real life here? We should not accept any other form of so-called revelation. There's a lot of other so-called religions and denominations that talk about signs and gifts, so-called, and all these things, and they want to they have their extra-biblical uh, doctrines put their, you know, imprimatur on there, their stamp of approval, because, oh, I had this vision. Oh, I had this sign, this wonder. No, does it line up with this? That's what our standard is right here. Our final authority in all matters of faith and practice is this book. That's why we don't accept any other form of revelation. We compare everything, everything. What I say, what pastor says, what people say around the church, we compare it with this book. Does it line up with this? If I say something that doesn't line up with this book, you can throw out what I say because I'm wrong and this book is right. If I think I'm right and this book says something else, I'm wrong, okay? Uh, that's, that's why we compare and judge everything against the scriptures. Um, all of our beliefs, all of our doctrine comes from this book. Um, the other example I gave was in Galatians chapter 1. Paul is dealing with an issue with a Galatian church where someone was coming in and saying, well, you've got to be circumcised and keep the law to maintain your salvation or to be saved. And Paul says, if we or an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, we, heard, we, we, we talked about all the curses and stuff that came along, the, the judgments that came on someone who changed the word of God, who misused the word of God. And Paul says, if, if they say anything that's contrary to this book, they're accursed. I don't want to be in that crowd. We're not going to take this thing and say, well, I have my idea, and God spoke to my heart about this, but it, goes right, but it runs contrary to what the words of Scripture say. No. Paul said, if anybody else comes and says something different than what I wrote to you in that letter, 
write them off because they're wrong and the, and the, the words of God are right. So we don't accept anything else. We, we, we accept what is established in Scripture. So number one, the Bible is, the, is supreme in magnitude. God put it above his own name. Number two, the Bible is the supreme form of revelation. This is what God left for us so we know him, we know what he expects of us, <clears throat> and as, any, as far as what, what God is concerned, anything that he wants us to know is in this book, and it's, it's, not, it's not anywhere else. It's found in this book. God, God gave us exactly everything he wants us to know. All right, so now let's get into the last three points. They're not as lengthy as the, the other two that we did, so we won't, it won't take too much time, I don't think. <laughs> Job chapter 23. <clears throat> Job chapter 23, and let's look at verse 12. Right in the middle of this whole issue with Job being tried, the Lord allowing the devil to rake him over the coals to prove whether or not he, he actually um, would bless the Lord and not curse him. And, you know, we got this whole conversation from chapters 3 on um, between Job, his friends, the Lord, and Elihu. Um, and uh, Job says this in the middle of this whole mess. Um, and, you know, Job was a righteous man. The Bible says he was perfect in all his ways, and he shoot evil. But there were some things that God still had to teach him. He wasn't, you know, he had some things to learn. But, um, so, but this, this next passage we're going to read really illustrates Job's heart about it. Um, uh, Job 23, verse 12 says this, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's pretty amazing right there to think about. But that's kind of the point of this whole lesson is, is the, the, the supremacy of the scriptures. And Job right here says, number one, that Job esteemed the words of God more than his necessary food. That'd be the blank there. The, the, the point that we're going to talk about is that the scriptures are supreme in estimation. Now, I don't say estimation. There's two senses to use that word, estimation. I'm not talking about, I, oh, that, that, that load of bricks, is a, I estimated it to be about 100 bricks. That's not what we're talking about. There's another form of estimation. We say, that man is a good man in my estimation. What you're saying is, how I esteem that man is that he's good. Um, it, the estimation also comes from a root, the root of the word esteem. So the Bible, we're going to say, the scriptures at this point is our supreme in estimation. In other words, how we esteem the scriptures, that ought to be supreme in our lives. Everything else we esteem in our lives, there's lots of things that are important. Our, our families, our, our health, um, you know, our church, um, our well-being, uh, other people, our friends, uh, we esteem them, and, that's, and that we should. Um, but the Bible, the scriptures, should be supreme in our estimation. Because Job said, I esteem the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, so no, note this. Job didn't say he, he abandoned his necessities. Food, if there's anything you need in life, if you had nothing else, what do you need? You absolutely have to have food and water. So it's a necessity. Now, Job didn't say I'm abandoning my necessities, but what he said is I just, I think the words of God are more important than even my necessities. Wow. That, 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 that's, that's, that's a pretty wild to think about. Um, just as an illustration of this point, and I won't, have you, I won't have you turn to these passages, but as an illustration of this point, um, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says this. He says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children 
and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. So he said, well, wow, I gotta hate my wife. I gotta hate my kids. Now, let's be careful. We don't wanna fall into the trap of the first point of changing what the word of God says. The Bible uses the word hate there, and it's very, very important that it does. What you ought to do is look and see what the rest of the Bible says about that. This passage is repeated in Matthew chapter 10. And what did Jesus say in that passage? He says, he that loveth father or mother or son or daughter more than me. So when Jesus says, you know, you don't hate your father, he's saying, as far as your, how you esteem your father and mother, if you esteem them more than me, that's not right. You need, in, in, in comparison to me, your estimation of me should be so high that it looks, your estimation of your father, mother, wife, yourself ought to look like hate because it's that, it's that great of a gap. It's, it's, if you don't hate your father or mother compared to how you esteem me, um, you can't be my disciple. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about here with the scriptures. It's not that God says you shouldn't eat, you shouldn't drink. He's saying, how much do you esteem my words? Job says, I esteem them more than my necessary food. <clears throat> So if you fill in the blank there on point three, the Bible says to hate, you know, if you don't hate your father and mother. But that definition, according to the Bible definition, God defines it with the scriptures itself saying it's loving them more than me. Um, that's, what, that's what we're talking about, esteeming how, how the, the gap between how we esteem our necessities and how we esteem the scriptures should be. So letter B, the words of God are to be esteemed more than our physical necessities. Do we need food and water? Yes, we absolutely do. God knows that, and he, he says as much um, in the scriptures. The, the, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have needed these things, but how do we esteem the scriptures in relation to those things? So let's, let's think about it this way. The application for us is this. We should desire this book as much and more than our necessities. So let's, let's, let's illustrate this. Have you ever been deprived of air? like you've been underwater for a longer time than you planned on or, or something else, think about this. If, you've never, if that's never happened to you, just try to, try to imagine your mind being deprived of air. Consider the desperation with which you tried to regain that air. Now God says, well, air is a necessity. I, gotta, I need air to breathe, right? It's a necessity. That's how desperate I should be for the scriptures. And let's face it, how often am I that desperate for the scriptures? I, I'll, I'll be, there's been times where I, I've, had to, I've come to the book like a guy out of air because I, I need this book. But not all the time. I, I'll be honest with you. It's not all the time like that. But Job said, I esteemed these words more than my necessary food. Think about food. Have you ever, if, if you've ever fasted in here, I don't know, if, you know for a length of time miss, or, or missed a few meals, <clears throat> if, if, that's ever, if you've ever done that, think back to how the thought of food occupied your mind how you were just kind of occupied about getting to that meal when you were going to break that fast. Um, that's how the scripture should be. When I'm away from the scriptures, when I'm not there to read it, when I'm not there to meditate on it, this book should, try to, should occupy my mind. When can I get back to it? That's esteeming it more than my necessary food, esteeming it more than my necessities. Um, we, we, we think about how much you desire your necessities when you're deprived of them, and then think about, well, that's my attitude should be toward the scriptures. Job says, if I have a choice between my food and the words of God, I'm going to choose the words of God. Um, there's somebody I know that, that chooses to um, read the scriptures before they have their meals in the, during the day because just to kind of line up with this, try to keep their, 
mind with this type of mentality, esteeming the words of God more than their necessary food. And, you know, that's um, just a, a practice they do. It's not commanded in Scripture or anything, but it's, it's, you know, that's the kind of attitude we should have to the Scriptures. Do I, do I esteem it that much? My, I have necessities. I, have, I, need to, I need to breathe. I need to eat. I need to drink. But do I need this book as well? And is it even more than my, my physical necessities? So we should desire the book as we do our necessities, more than even so. And number two, what do you do with your necessities? Well, speaking of food, because that's the, that's the passage in, in Job, I just, you know, I've esteemed it more than my necessary food. What do you do with food? You plan to partake of it every day. You plan on having, having some food every day. When I get up in the morning, I plan on having breakfast. It's my first meal. I've got to get started, get myself strength up for the day. I plan on having breakfast. And then while I'm at work, I plan on taking a lunch break so that I can have some lunch and get you know, sustained through the rest of my afternoon. And then when I come home, I plan, if my wife has done what she normally does and prepares my meal and prepares my, my, my dinner, um, I plan on partaking of food then. What about the scriptures? Do we plan on partaking of the scriptures like our necessities? You know, I don't like get up in the morning like, yeah, I don't think I'll eat today. Well, if I esteem the words of God, I, I never do that. You know, I, 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 unless I'm planning on fasting, I don't just get up and say, eh, I'm too busy to eat today. If that we esteem the words of God more than our necessary food, then we should plan on partaking of it daily and not missing time in this book. It's very, th- this book is very vital to, to, our, to our well-being as Christians. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the next point. But... Um, we should plan on partaking of this book. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The Bible is supreme. It should be supreme in our estimation. How do we esteem this book? I hope we try to get to the point where it's more than even our necessities. Point four. Let's get a couple people with some references here. Mark, can you get Psalm 19? Tim, can you get Psalm 119? <clears throat> um, Pastor Shot, can you get Psalm 119 too? I'll have you both read some passages out of there. Uh, Brother Tim, in the Psalm 119, 14 and 16, and Pastor Shot, Psalm 119, 72 and 127. I'll, I'll repeat it to you when, when we get there. All right, Brother Mark, can you please read Psalm 19, verse 10? Okay, so if you know anything about Psalm 119, uh, there's a whole passage there preceding that. I probably should have had him read that. whole passage preceding that verse that he just read about the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It's all about the word of God. And then you get to the point that he read, it's more to be desired than what? Gold. Uh, Tim, can you read Psalm 119, 14, and then 16? 14 and then 16. Psalm 119, 14 and then verse 16. I rejoice in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Verse 16. Oh, that was, oh I'm sorry. Did you say 14, 15, and 16? Uh, did, I get, did I give you the wrong passage? 14 and 16. One second. I should have been there. 
probably put the wrong passage down. Yep, I read the wrong one. Um, I got the wrong one. Uh, okay. Well, there's a verse in there somewhere in Psalm 119. I wrote the wrong passage. It says, I rejoice in thy testimonies as much as one that findeth great spoil. And if uh, someone finds that really quick, I'll have to make sure I get that corrected. All right, um, Pastor Schott, Psalm 119, 72. In verse 127. Did I write the wrong one again? Man, oh man, Dave. Yes. Okay, okay. Man, I thought I had it, I thought I had it wrong twice. <laughs> okay, so... Let's just kind of review what we talked about there. The, Bible, the, the, the scriptures tell us that the scriptures are to be more desired than gold. Tim read that we re, the, the psalmist rejoices in those scriptures as much as in all riches. Um, he says, I rejoice as one that findeth great spoil in those, in those scriptures. We read that um, the law of your mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. And I love that commandments above gold. Now look at those, a few of those verses particularly say, I desire them more than gold. The word is better than thousands of gold and silver. I love thy commandments above gold. What is the word of God supreme in this, in this case? The scriptures are supreme in value. Now, this is similar to the last point, but not exactly the same. The last point we talked about are necessities, things that we absolutely need, and we should esteem the scriptures above that. This is not stuff that we need, but, but these are things that have value, and the scriptures are to be esteemed more supreme than those things. We are just, the scriptures are, not only in our estimation, but they are supreme in the value these scriptures have, more than gold, more than riches, more than wealth. We, you know, that's all this world is chasing after nowadays, is, is riches and money and wealth and power. They value those things. But the scriptures are far supreme in value to those things, and we'll see why. Um, so letter B, the scriptures are to, more to be desired than great wealth, more to be desired than great wealth. Our application of this. Well, let's ask ourselves this question. What makes us desire wealth? What makes us desire riches? Why do we desire gold? Why do we desire silver? Value. Yep, value. That's, that's the first blank there. We desire it because of its value. It has some value to us. There's worth to it. What else? Anybody else can throw out something? Why do we desire something? It's kind of, they're all kind of related, but yes. Thank you. That's why it was out of order. <laughs> um, uh, we, so what makes us desire wealth? We desire because of our value, like Mark said. We desire because of the qualities it has. Um, there's some desirable qualities. We desire it because it can do something for us. There's some benefit to it to us. Well, what about the Word of God? Does it have any value? Does it have any qualities that we desire? Does it have any... Anything it can do for us, it absolutely does. Absolutely. Um, let's look at a few verses. First Peter chapter 1. I mean, I would, I would hope in a, this, this crowd that, that would be a, a given. Of course, the Bible has qualities that, that um, we would desire <clears throat> and things that it can do for us. First Peter chapter 1, number 1 Here's some value, some things that give the Word of God value. What can it do for us? 1 Peter 1, verse 23 says this, Being born again, 
Now, are you born again here today? I hope you are. Being born again, how? Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. What is that incorruptible seed? By the word of God. Do you realize that if God didn't preserve this book, there's, you couldn't be born again because you're born again by the word of God? The word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Number one, why does, what does the word of God do for us? Why does it have value? Because it saves us. We would have no knowledge of the gospel without these scriptures. You, you mean to tell me that after 2,000 years of oral tradition, we'd have the, the gospel would be untainted by man's word of mouth? I don't think so. That's why God wrote it down. Scriptures, supreme form of revelation, that's why it's here. The word of God saves us. It, it, gives, us, it gives eternal life. It, gives us, it, it, it makes us born again by that incorruptible seed. Talk about that parable of the sower that goes out, sower went out to sow. What does he sow? The seed is the word of God. That seed is what? You put that seed into the heart of man. When we go out on the street in Hartford, look, I don't look for results. I hope I get some results, but I don't look for results. What I do is I try to obey the commandment of God saying, go put the word out there, and hopefully that word bears seed in somebody's heart because it's the word of God that bears that fruit, the Holy Spirit that ministers the word of God to that heart that bears fruit. It saves us. It's got value. You tell me something. You could change, take, take someone from darkness to light, from the power of Satan into the power of God. That's what the word of God can do. Isn't that valuable? Isn't that, have, isn't that a huge benefit to the Word of God? Well, then let's value it. That's what it did for you. If you're saved, that's what it did for you. It, it, changed, it transformed you. It, it translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It saved us. James chapter 1 says, Receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. That's what the Word of God does for us. It's got value. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. As a Christian... Is that, so is that, is that where the value of the Word of God ends? After, you know, okay, thank God he preserved his Word and I got saved by the Word of God, the seed of the Word, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And then, okay, I'm just going to kind of float here now. Uh, no, God has, a, has a, a, a great plan through the Word of God for us. Ephesians chapter 5, God is giving some admonition to husbands and wives and he brings in the illustration of the, the church as the bride of Christ here. And in verse 25, it says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So as, once you're a Christian, your sins have been forgiven, your, your sins have been under the blood. The Bible says he took, it, took that, the writing of ordinances out of the way and nailed it to his cross. You're not, you're not guilty in God's eyes of anything anymore, but... Let's face it, as we walk through this life, we still got this flesh to drag around with us. That thing has to be subdued on a daily, minute-by-minute minute minute basis. And we gotta, the, the Lord wants to keep us clean in this world. I pray not that thou, sh what, is, what did Jesus say in, the, in, the, in his prayer in uh, John 17, I think? He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That's keeping them clean, keeping his, his disciples clean, even though they're in the world. And what does the word of God do for us? The Bible says that church that he bought and he married as a bride, he sanctifies and cleanses it with the washing of water by the word. So it sanctifies and cleanses us. The word I put there is cleanse. It cleans us up, keeps us clean. Let me tell you something. You walk around this world for a couple minutes, a couple hours, and if you don't have something to keep your mind right and your heart right, you're going to be awful dirty. And that's why this book, it's got value because it keeps me clean. I keep going back to this thing and renewing my mind with this book because it keeps me clean. And you ought to use it to keep yourself clean, too. It's got value. Well, think about the things that have value in the world. If, if someone wants to, you know, cleanse something or purify it, that's got value. 
You know, in the hospital, they have clean rooms, a central sterilization department. It's a whole department dedicated to keeping things clean. That's got value to the hospital. This has got value to me as a Christian because it keeps me clean. Um, let's look over one chapter. We won't read the whole section, but Ephesians chapter 6, you know, in verses 13 through 17, the whole armor of God there. We're going to move a little faster here because I see I'm already bucking my time. <laughs> um, the whole armor of God there is given to us. And you know, I know we always focus on the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, very particularly called out there. But if you do a study on the armor of God, every piece has got a connection to the Scriptures in some way. The Scriptures are there for our protection. That armor is there for protection. The Scriptures are there for our protection. So it protects. So it saves us, it cleanses us, it protects us. And last of all, in Psalm 119, verse 24, it says, Thy testimonies are my counselors. You know what people pay money for all the time? to psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors. They want counsel. And I got this book here. I can get anywhere for a couple dollars or less. Go to a church that cares about you. They'll give you a Bible for free. And it's my counselors. It's got, it's got counsel. It'll counsel me. So uh, considering its value, it saves us, it cleanses us, it protects us, it counsels us. Verse, uh, uh, point three, considering its value, how ought we to cherish it? We ought to cherish it like we cherish something of value, physical value, because it's supreme in value. Very quickly, we'll get those, these last three um, uh, fill-in-the-blanks for um, Did I miss my, I got one last piece. That, that, ooh, don't tell me I lost my last part of my outline. Oh, boy. That's not good. Oh, there it is. Scared me. Wow. All right. Um, the last point. What do we do with wealth? What do we do with it? Well, something of physical value. These are the three things we do with it. We accumulate it, A. We talk about it. People who are wealthy like to talk about their wealth and their riches. We talk about it, B. And we use it. We make use of it. We make use of the wealth. Um, if the Bible is supreme in value, what do we do with it? Do we accumulate it? Do we store up the knowledge of the scriptures? Do we get into it and store up knowledge in our mind about the scriptures? Do we talk about it? Is it a regular point of discussion? Someone who's rich likes to talk about, hey, check out the boat that I got. Hey, this is how my stocks are doing, my investments are doing. What about the book? If it's valuable to you, hey, do you know what I found in the scriptures this morning when I was reading my Bible? This is what I found. Hey, God really helped me out with this passage. Have you seen this? I never saw this before when I read my Bible. And number, number three, we use it. There is an endless supply of resources in this book for a Christian. Amen. Do we use it? Or does it sit there and then it comes with us on Sunday morning and it goes back on the shelf Sunday night, maybe pick it up on Wednesday night to come to church, but, or are we using it like something that has great value? That's, that's why the Bible is supreme, in, is supreme in value because it has so much for us um, that we can accumulate, that we can talk about, that we can use. So it ought to be supreme in value as well. It is supreme in value, but do we esteem it that way? Like Job said, I esteem it more than my necessities. Do we also esteem it higher than other things of value that we, we see in this world? Gold, silver, um, possessions, things like that. The Bible is supreme in value. Last point, and then this will be done. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Before I go any further, are there any questions... Okay. 
Matthew 24, verse 35. And William, can you get Psalm 12, 6, and 7? Matthew 24, verse 35 says this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. William, can you read Psalms 12, 6, and 7? All right, these two passages. Note, first of all, in Matthew chapter 24, it says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my, I want you to note this very carefully, what the Bible puts here, my words, my words shall not pass away. And Psalms 12, 6 and 7 says, the words of the Lord, about them thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The Bible, the scriptures are supreme in permanence. I want you to note, like I said again, the Holy Spirit's use of the, the word words in here. He didn't even, he didn't even use it like a, a, a general sense, the word of God, even though that is used in the, in the Bible from time to time. He said, my words are not going to pass away. That is very specific. There are particular words that God is going to keep after heaven and earth pass away. There are particular words that God is going to preserve forever. It's a, preser- it's a preservation of the very words that he wants us to read in here. Now, you say, not that, not that I think anybody in here doesn't believe that, but what's our final authority? This book. Let's see what this book has to say about that. Is there any proof that that is actually the case, that these words will be around after everything passes away? Well, let's look first at John chapter 12. <clears throat> I want you to note this statement by Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting? Uh, what I love about the Bible the Bible's not like a textbook where you say, okay, I want to learn about uh, the local church, and I go to a, a section. Here's about the local church, and I want to learn about heaven, and here's a section about heaven, and I want to learn about Jesus Christ, and here's a section about Jesus Christ. The Bible is a book that is written uh, in a sense that it's like a, it's like a letter, and as you read through that letter, you find incidental things mentioned, and because every word of God is pure, those little incidentals are very important, and he, he mentions things and you might just be tempted to just gloss over it because he just said it incidentally, but that is a deep truth of the Word of God that God has let, left there for us to, to understand and know. Here's something, John chapter, this is not so incidental as some other things you might see, but John chapter 12, verse 48 says this, Jesus is speaking, and he says this, he that re- rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Oh, what's the last day? Well, again, let's use the Bible to define that. Revelation chapter 20. So Jesus says, you know what? The word that I'm speaking, you reject my words? Well, the word that I'm speaking, that's going to judge you in the last day. We're talking about the permanence of the Word of God, how supreme it is in permanence. <clears throat> Revelation 20, verse uh, 11. And I saw a great white throne. Revelation 20, 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Heaven and earth passed away. Remember that verse? 
and there was found no place for them. So we are at the end. This is the last day. Heaven and earth have passed away. In verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. What did did Jesus say would judge those people that rejected him in the last day? His words. What do you have here? Does anybody know how many books are in this Bible? 66 books, books, books. The books were opened. You know what God's going to do at that last day? He's going to say, I gave you everything that you needed to know. I gave you a book that was supreme above my name. I gave you a book that was supreme in its revelation to you. It's more sure than anything else you could know. I gave you a book that ought to be esteemed higher than your necessities. I gave you a book that was, that was more valuable than riches, gold, silver, precious stones. I gave you a book that will last forever, and you rejected my words. Heaven and earth has passed away. None of that stuff is left. You know what lasts? There's this book right there, 66 books. You know, Romans says about the law, it says, um, Romans 3.19, the law was given that every mouth, you see, everybody tries to, people that talk about, I'm going to get to heaven by keeping the law. That's not why God gave you the law. He said the law was given to you that every mouth might be stopped and that all the world might become guilty before God. You're taking the thing that God says, I'm here to prove you guilty by this law and show you why you need Jesus Christ, and you're taking this law and trying to earn your way to heaven through it. No, the books are what prove us guilty before God, and we, if we're smart, will accept the salvation offered by Jesus Christ. If you reject that, the words that God gave you, well, those words are going to judge you in the last day. Here it is. The books are open. Genesis. Here's where Adam and Eve sinned. I showed you what the consequences of sin was. I gave you that prophecy, Genesis 3.15, of the seed of the woman coming to take care of all this mess. Here's the law of Moses. Here it is. Look at None of them could keep it. They have to offer a sacrifice daily. Look, Hebrews, there it is, the one sacrifice that I gave you that made perfect, made all those other sacrifices worthless. One sacrifice for all time. Look, there it is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the life of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that you could not live. And over through all the books of the Bible, God's going to say, you're guilty, 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 guilty. That book's going to judge you at the last day. You know, heaven and earth are gone. All those people's possessions are gone. Their degrees are gone. All their, their kids, their families are gone. What's left? This book. And that's what's going to judge them. Thank God, if you're saved, we don't stand at this judgment. This is the great white throne. We don't stand there. But if you reject Christ and his words, he says, the word that I've spoken is what's going to judge you at the last day. Why? Because this book is what's going to be lasting after all is said and done. There's only three things that are really eternal. God, your soul, and this book. So for us as Christians, the admonition is why don't we take some time and effort laying up the words of God that are going to last instead of trying to work all our time trying to lay up things that are going to pass away with heaven and earth. This is what's going to last at the last day. So we're saved. We're not going to be in this judgment. And I'll tell you one thing. We talked about the word of God cleansing us and counseling us. What we do with this book is going to determine how we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and our rewards at that judgment and how, what we're going to carry into eternity. You might say, I don't care. You know, I'm just, I'll be saved. I'll be happy. No, God wouldn't have put something in here about earning rewards if it wasn't important. Why would he put that in there if it didn't matter? Yeah, you'll be saved, but there's some shame that comes to the judgment seat of Christ if you didn't do what God wanted you to do. Very quickly in conclusion, the scriptures. This last point about the permanence, the supreme um, 
the, the scripture is supreme in permanence. It kind of encompasses all the other points since the scriptures are one of the three things that are going to last forever. Think about this. We talked about it should be supreme in our estimation more than our necessities. Our body and its necessities are eventually going to be no more. Okay? I mean, we'll have a new body. I get it. But this thing that we carry around now will be gone. Um, the earthly wealth, we, we should, this should be supreme in value. The earthly wealth that we gather up, gone. It's going to be no more eventually. Um, what, all we have left is our soul and, like I said, the, the eternity with our potential rewards that are affected by how we obey the revelation of this book. We talked about it. It's supreme in revelation. Okay, so God's given me and revealed to me a bunch of things, but what am I doing with it? Um, and I think this. Well, you, think, you say, I don't, I don't value it like I should, maybe, and I don't esteem it above my necessities like I should, and I don't always obey its revelation like I should. But think about the first point. God says he exalted it above his own name. If we regard this book as much as God does, I think it'll be a little more natural for us to hold it in high value and esteem it above our necessities and obey it like we should, its revelation like we should. So the points, again, the Bible is supreme in magnitude. How much reverence and regard do we give to them? The Bible is supreme in its revelation, but are we obeying it? The Bible is supreme in estimation, how do we esteem it in comparison to our necessities? And the Bible is supreme in value. How do we value them? Because this book is supreme in permanence, and it's going to be the last thing lasting after heaven and earth pass away, and it's going to be what lasts in our life, how much we obeyed it. So I hope that was a help to you guys. I um, hope it was encouragement, and uh, thank you for the time, Pastor Schott.